Morning, Christ Church. It's the last Sunday of Advent, and um, we're concluding, that means, our series on becoming tenders of the garden. We've been taking a look at that through the sermon series, um, looking at what does it mean, like our reading from Romans 8 today, to wait with all creation for the coming of our Savior who will, who will make all things new. So through, though the sermon series is going to be over after today, we're going to be revisiting some of uh, our calling as it relates to creation and the ways that we can encounter the wonder and the beauty of God through the splendor of what He has made. We're going to kind of continue that kind of conversation into the new year for a bit. Um, and I want to remind you of our whiteboards in the courtyards, and this is one of the ways we'll continue it. I don't mean the sermon series will continue, but just little things, like practices that kind of keep us in that mindset. But it's been so fun to see how you filled out the whiteboards. This morning, um, it, last week's whiteboard was totally full of different creatures that you've seen. So thanks for uh, putting those up there and keep doing that. And also just go look and see what some of the things others have noted. And some of you have been traveling, obviously, because I don't know that there are many leopards in this area or uh, other such creatures. Or you've just got a wonderful, fanciful imagination and your cat is just taking on a new kind of glory. Um, let me recap uh, what we've done so far. So we've spent two Sundays taking biblical imagery of the Christian life. Images from creation. In Advent 1, we looked at seasons. There's a season for everything. And we looked at how spring, summer, autumn, and winter, how we go through different seasons in our spiritual life. Last week, we looked at the desert, another kind of biblical image of the spiritual life, of Christian life, and how the Bible uh, portrays the desert symbolically and significantly in our lives, a dry place in our lives at times that might be full of trials, but we're promised streams in the desert. So we looked at that last week. These are two sermons that had to do with kind of imagery from creation that has to do with the spiritual life. Um, now weeks two and four, uh, this being week four, we're looking at ways of understanding our call to be tenders of the garden from the perspective of word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. So we have two sermons using imagery of scripture, and we have two sermons with word and sacrament. So a couple weeks ago, I did kind of a biblical theology of creation care, at looking at scripture and what is it in scripture that, that shows us this call that we have to care for the world that God's made. And today we're going to look at through the lens of sacrament. What does it mean to have a sacramental view of the world? And then its implication for creation. But actually today we're going to mostly be talking about what it means to have a sacramental spirituality. And, uh, and then one point at the end will be, this is also part of why we are called to be tenders of the garden. So that's where we're headed today. My primary hope today is to help us take this sacramental view of the world and to see its implications when we see the world that way, it's implications for all arenas of life and with a special note to what it means to be keepers of the garden. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so richly to us, that speaks our language, that speaks even through the imagery of the world around us. Thank you for the ways, the links to which you go and have gone to connect with us and to reveal yourself to us. Would you do that this morning again? 
Open our eyes. Reveal yourself to us afresh. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're here last week, you might remember I started with um, a story from the early centuries of the church, and I'm going to do the same thing today, the early Christians. Um, Some of the early Christians tried to kind of invent a Jesus who didn't mix in with the material world. This is one of the early heresies of the church. That's a, a heresy is a false teaching about Jesus or about the core doctrines of the faith. And one of these heresies was that Jesus somehow was, was, was God, but didn't, didn't really mix in with material existence or the material world. Now, there's a big word. If you have a pen, you might want to jot this down or put it in your phone. Remember this. Interesting called docetism. This is, what it's, this is a reference to that heresy. Docetism comes from the Greek word dokane, which means to seem or to appear. To seem or to appear. So docetism is the belief that Christ only seemed to be human. He only appeared to suffer, to weep, to thirst, to sweat in agony, to die. His human state was actually so spiritual that he only only appeared human and seemed to be human. He wore the body kind of like a disguise, but he didn't actually mix in God with this earth and in human form. So this version of Christianity was repudiated early on. Um, It's popped up every now and then in different kinds of ways. Um, Here's how it began. It was influenced partly, uh, largely, by Greek thought. They thought, uh, kind of the the Greek philosophy was that evil resides in the material realm and that a divine being could not suffer. And if those two things seem, uh, Jesus was a contradiction of those two things. And so they couldn't accept with these premises that God cannot suffer and that evil resides in the material realm, then, the, then there's no way that Jesus himself could bring those two together as God and this world. It's recurred, uh, as I said, periodically throughout history for a couple reasons. One is simply because the incarnation is a holy mystery. Anyone uh, coming to this question would find it difficult. It's difficult for us to fully comprehend. We can't quite get to the bottom of understanding of how God and human could coexist in the same person. So it is a holy mystery, and there are these attempts to resolve it by erring and going to the more human side or the more divine, less human side. So going to one of the extremes instead of holding them together is a temptation just because of the mystery of the incarnation. But it also taps into the human hope that Religion will provide an escape from suffering and from the offense that Christ suffered in this excruciating execution, that our God was put to death, executed in this excruciating way. But here's the good news. God crashes into this world, and he takes up residence among us, and it changes everything. God meets us in the created world, not by pulling us out of it, that we might escape from it to some other plane, but here in the created world. 
So we're going to talk, I said, about sacramental spirituality. We're going to move from, from incarnation as a category to the sacraments, to Eucharist in particular, and then to sacramental spirituality, which is more of the application side of things. So let's start with the incarnation. And this is what, um, Matt, I can never think of the incarnation since Father Matt's been here without the phrase, God in the bod. <laughs> he brought that to us. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> God in the bod. So that's the incarnation. Um, and we're going to start there. God meets us by becoming human. Our gospel reading today is the story of Mary's conception, that she will carry in her womb and, and gestate and give birth to God. That's our reading from Scripture. The creator of the cosmos will become part of his creation. Philippians 2 touches on this, and we have, let's put this up on the screen. In your relationships with one another, Paul says to the church in Philippi, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus had a body. God had a body. God was a body. He was physically born. He physically died, and he physically rose from the dead. During life, we know explicitly that he wept, he got angry, he walked, he cooked fish, he took naps, he worked in a wood shop. I'm sure he also sneezed, and he probably got blisters when he bought a new pair of sandals. He was fully a human being, the God of the universe, of the cosmos, and creator of all. So let's move now to Eucharist, from incarnation to Eucharist. If incarnation is God in the bod, Eucharist is God in the meal. God in the meal is what's happening when we come to the table together. We're encountering Jesus there. God meets us through our holy meal at his table. The Lord's table represents the great feast of all creation in the great hall of heaven where we all gather as one body around one table worshiping the one God. And there at that table, at that holy meal, we break bread together in perfect unity, joy, and in love. That is what is represented here at the table. We call it sometimes communion. Think about that word, co Union, communion, it is our life and the life of Christ brought together, united. Our life and the life of Christ brought together. Our life is an offering. Look at this from Romans 12. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, because God is so merciful, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This language is saturated with imagery from the temple and the sacrifice, the sacrificial system. And what Paul is saying to the church in Rome is, 
Put yourself on the altar, but not in death, not by death on the altar, but in life, that your very life would be offered up to God, a living sacrifice. Your very body, it says explicitly, offer up your body as a living sacrifice to God. It is holy and pleasing to Him when we do that. So our life is this offering, the offering. And then the life of Christ are the elements when we come together in communion. Let's put that next slide up. Matthew 26, this is where Jesus says those words, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, take and eat, this is my body. And then he did the same thing with the wine, this is my blood. We offer up our bodies and we receive his. In this, we are co-united. Co- we have a, a co-union, communion with God at the table. Now, let me dig a little bit deeper into, we can leave that up for a minute. Let me dig a little deeper into some of the uh, communion and, and paint a picture for you. In the early church, um, they would have a meal, and that, it was in the context of a meal that they would celebrate what, and do what Jesus commanded them to do. They said, I want you, he said, Remember me, and just one, do this one thing to remember me. Have a meal together. That's how I want you to remember me. So they'd come together, and they would have this meal together. And they would bring their offerings, just like we do, right before we have this meal together. Their offerings were not currency like ours in most cases. It would be the fruits of their labor and their fields. They might bring bread and olives and Whatever their wheat and things that are from their, from their garden, things that maybe they've even prepared or cooked for the meal. So they're bringing the fruits of their labor, just as we bring the fruits of our labor in the offering, and it comes up to the table, and our lives are then joined with God. So what's happening is they, they're bringing the fruits of their labor, but that represents, and just like this is true for every one of you too, that the fruits of our labor represent how we spend so much of our time working. Blood, sweat. (laughs) We pour ourselves out. Our very hearts and lives and minds and bodies go into, in most of the hours of our week, these kinds of labors. And we bring the fruits of those labors. And there's a sense in which when those fruits of our labors are offered up to God here at the table, we are saying, this is our life. Our whole life belongs to you. We're offering our bodies, the bodies that did all of the work of the week that comes to this moment, we're we're offering up our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. And our life then joins to the life of Christ. We're lifted up. We're glorified in Him. When you see a priest up here holding up the bread, or elevating the wine. Think of yourself in that picture, united to Christ, lifted up to the Father, a living sacrifice offered up to God. The elements are lifted up, representing Christ who's gathered up all of our sin and all of our sorrow. He was lifted up on the cross, And so our life goes with him to the cross. He was also raised from the dead and ascended to the Father. And our life goes with him 
up to the very right-hand company of the Father. Our brother Christ. He says, I call you friends. And there we are in that heavenly hall or banquet, communing with him. So there's this upward movement of our lives in, in communion. And then there's this downward movement of the blessing of God. His blessing and his grace and his forgiveness come down. His life into our life. And then that extends into the life of the world. We go out from the table into the life of the world. We have been fed and then we become food for the world in a sense. We nourish the life of the world with Christ. We become living, walking sacraments in the world. Eucharist gathers up all of life, all of work, all of our bodies. All things are renewed in Christ. Let's look at Colossians 1. This is one of the most uh, exalted language, beautiful descriptions of how this redemption encompasses everything, all things renewed in Him. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We're now getting into the realm of sacramental spirituality. Incarnation, God in the bod. Eucharist is God at the meal. God in the meal. Sacramental spirituality is God in our world. Everything and all thing taken up in Christ. One theologian says about this text in Colossians 1, he says, these verses sing out their triumphant and alluring music between two huge and steady poles, Christ and all things. And there's this reverberation back and forth between the two. It's an astounding statement of the purposes of God, the sweep of God's restorative action in Christ That sweep is no smaller than all, all things. Redemption comes through this concrete man who is God for us. Sacramental spirituality refers then to this interaction with God as we live in delight in this world and wonder and love in this world, encountering him in people, places, like physical places that we go, places on earth, places in creation, people, places, things even, and time. People, places, things, and time. All of this is offered up to God. And we encounter him in in these places. 
It's a way of living the Christian life with particular attention to God as creator. As we, as we make oblation, to use an old-fashioned word, this offering up, this offering up of ourselves and all creation, as we make oblation of people, as we make oblation of places, as we make oblation of things and of time, we encounter the living God. What does sacramental spirituality have to do with the sacrament and the celebration of Holy Eucharist? Let me draw that line explicitly now. The sacrament and celebration of the Eucharist gathers into itself, into the bread and the wine created by God. The bread and the wine, you think, goes back to wheats and grapes, creations of God's. And then goes through this process of human work to cultivate the wheat into bread, human work and artisanship to cultivate the grapes into wine. All of this comes together, and what happens at the table is this microcosm of all of life. At the table, heaven and earth collide. That's what happens at the table. Heaven and earth collide. They collide in the very ordinary material of what was once simple wheat and grapes. And we even have a part to play in that, turning the grapes into wine and the wheat into bread, into these cultural products made by humans whose vocation is to be culture makers. So just as heaven and earth collide at the Lord's table in the most common materials of creation, so do heaven and earth collide in the most common and in ordinary uh, places, or people, or things, or time. You might be familiar with the oft-quoted line from Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. So to walk through our days with eyes that see and ears that hear the presence of God in every corner of his creation, and then to pay attention to its exquisite uniqueness, to love it, whatever corner of creation we encounter, to love it, and then to respond to God with wonder and praise and gratitude, that is to live with a sacramental spirituality. At table, heaven and earth collide not only in the raw natural products, but again, through the works of our hands as well. Alexander Schmemann, it's a mouthful, Alexander Schmemann wrote a book called For the Life of the World, and he's talking here about, in this book, about uh, some of what we're discussing today, the sacramental spirituality. He says, the natural dependence of man upon the world was intended to be transformed constantly into communion with God, in whom is all life. We depend on people, places, things and time. All of those are, are resources, in a sense, of our what we depend on them. Our natural dependence upon the world in this way was intended to be transformed constantly into communion with God, in whom is all of life. Another way to put it is we consecrate our ordinary life. We consecrate time every day, people, places, Things. That's a sacramental spirituality and view of the world. Now, let me draw some 
uh, a few applications of this, mostly just by way of mention, to kind of open our eyes to this view of the world that is sacramental. There's so many different arenas. One, and I'll start here because I think it is first and foremost in Scripture, is community. That in the body of Christ, it literally is. We're talking about the incarnation of God in a bod. <laughs> um, God is still in a bod, in a sense, in that we are, as collectively the followers of Jesus, the body of Christ. We are the sacrament to the world, first and foremost. The world can, in a sense, taste and see the goodness of the Lord as the world looks at the church. Another arena, this has implications for how we think about work and vocation. And like I referred to, just where we, where we spend most of our daily life and time. And I don't mean by, by work and vocation, I don't mean necessarily paid work. It may be that you, you, have a work, you have a calling right now and you're not paid for it. It might be at home, it might be out in the city somewhere, it might be paid, it might be unpaid, but you have a calling. And as you live into that calling, that vocation, you are living sacramentally as you offer it all up to the Lord. So this gives a new kind of significance, a sacramental view to our vocational life. Another arena is the work of justice. So we look around the world and we see in this material world, in people, places, things, and time, the way that it's not the way it ought to be. It is a sacramental way of living in the world. It's a sacramental spirituality that would cause us to value the things of this world such that we want to see them set right. Fitzsimmons Allison was, uh, he was an Anglican priest and bishop, and he wrote a book called The Cruelty of Heresy. It's a great title. Think about it a minute. The Cruelty of Heresy. If life is in the truth, then heresy is cruel. So he talks about the cruelty of heresy. He talks some about docetism, um, but he says this as it applies to justice. History provides many examples of people passionately concerned with injustices thousands of miles away, but insensitive to and uninvolved in needs closer to home. It's often said of idealists that they are in love with humanity, but not with actual people. Ouch. That gets right to it. Docetic love, let's say, love with humanity. In love with humanity in this kind of ideal way, docetic love is enthralled with humanity. Gospel love is true sacrifice for an actual person. Sacramental spirituality leads us to this actual love and sacrifice for the people right in front of us and that God has put us around. So community, work and vocation, justice, all these are part of a sacramental spirituality. Another one is a theology of the body, our physical body, the implications of a sacramental spirituality for sanctity of life issues, for marriage and sexuality or single sexuality, for body image, for eating disorders, how we think about the body. Pope John Paul II, he wrote this. Uh, it's an illusion to think we can build a true culture of human life if we do not accept and experience sexuality and love and the whole of life 
according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. It's a sacramental view of the world that impacts how we think about the body. Another arena, beauty and the arts. Hey, beauty and the arts, they're not the same thing. There's beauty in creation. There's beauty that's also uh, human-made beauty, the arts. <clears throat> that's another way that we encounter many of you. Uh, it's, it's one of the ways that you experience God is through beauty, through making beauty, through appreciating and entering into the beauty around you. And it draws your eyes, it points your eyes to the creator of all, to his wonder and his splendor, the beauty of his glory. And then lastly, creation care is another one that is what we're talking about in these four weeks. We think about the world around us in a very material, physical sense, the, the natural world around us. And so it's out of a sacramental spirituality that then we, we then care for that which is material around us. So in creation care, that means we ask questions about how do we love where we live? This is a, you, you can visit this on our webpage. You can go on and, and uh, wander a little bit, and you'll, end up on the, you can, you'll find this page in one of the drop-downs called Love Where We Live, and it's a, it's, a, it's a place and a way that we think about and talk about occasionally what it means to actually uh, not just be theoretical or idealistic about these concepts, but how do we live sacramentally right here as our common home. We all have sacramental lives in our personal residence, but our collective family home right here, how do we live sacramentally by loving our neighbor, loving the world God made in terms of creation, loving what we make of the world, which would be the built environment or any of the artifacts of, of, of human creation, culture making. How do we express love and this sacramental spirituality right here on Medina Street? So you can go and check that out a little bit further. Now, let me conclude kind of coming back to the, the fact that everything that we say about sacramental spirituality also leaves this one arena that uh, is also part of the Christian life, and I want to name it. It's not the focus of, our, of the sermon today, but that there's also something that in our hearts, in our, law, in, our, in our spirits, cries out to God, spirit to spirit, not mediated through the, anything physical or human or created, but there's this soul to soul yearning, this spirit, deep spirit crying out to spirit that we would know the immediate presence, unmediated presence of God. And we get glimpses of that every now and then. Our normal life is a sacramental spirituality. Most of the time, we're living a sacramental spirituality, but then there are these moments where God graces us, and we get a sense that just transcends all of that, of the immediacy of the presence of God. And though it's just a taste right now, the day will come that it is full Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Let's pray. 
Father, our deep desire is to stand before you face to face, fully known, naked and unafraid. And to see you in all your glory and splendor and majesty and mercy. We thank you for the ways that in this life that you give us this sacramental view of the world. You give us tastes and glimpses of of your, your beauty and your wonder, your goodness and your love through your body, the church. And through this world in people, places, things, and time. Boy, we want to live lives that are consecrated to you in all those arenas. Would you help us, Lord, to have the eyes, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, that we might know the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In your name we pray, amen.